This is a table. Those of you last week may recognize it. It looks a little different. Yeah, and so a few things have happened in this past week. One thing, there were a bunch of little holes that we have no idea how they got there. Um, but those holes have been patched up. As well, the old varnish that had like 1,500 cup stains on it has been stripped. Stripping is this really interesting process. It's you get basically the nastiest chemicals you could find on Earth, <laughs> and you just put it on there um, over and over again. And it just eats away, what, if there's paint, if there's varnish, whatever, it just continues to eat away until you get down to the good wood underneath. But you have to wear like rubber, like really thick rubber gloves, or else it just starts eating through your skin, which is not a pleasant thing. Um, things eating your skin is not a good, just do not recommend it for anyone. Um, and then you have to sand it. And sanding this one has been tricky, um, as you can see from these legs. And so those of you who can't see, these legs have these nice, they're, they're turned in this beautiful way, but it doesn't make sanding that simple. If you've ever sanded around the spiral thing, um, good for you. <laughs> you know, woodworkers always love to put these nice flourishes on things. And they don't think about the people refinishing them later whenever they put them in. But it was, it's, you know, you look at this and it's like, oh yeah, that probably just took, you know, maybe 30 minutes afterwards. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of time that goes into refinishing something. Um, a lot of hidden time, a lot of hidden labor that is found in this. For many, it would be a lot easier, just like I said last week, just to throw it away or turn it into firewood and just move on with our life. It's like we already have too much stuff. What's the point of refinishing another table that we could just like dispose of? And yet there's something beautiful in this practice of finding something that is old and renewing it. And leaving it right now, it is at its most vulnerable. It has been stripped of all protections. It has been stripped of all protections, but it's it's ready to either become something new or to really be fully destroyed. <laughs> Both of those options are on the table. What are the habits and dispositions that you currently have that you think need to be stripped? Not in like the clothing sense of just taking off a shirt or putting it on, but in the chemical sense of tearing down, of burning through, of melting through a casing that is not healthy. What are the habits that go a little deeper? Because you have to strip down to the base in order to see the good wood underneath. My friends, we're continuing our series on second chances, on remembering that we believe in a God of second chances, that our mistakes do not define us. Today, we want to think about how we can love ourselves despite the things we have done in our life. What can that actually look like? And it starts by remembering that our, our past mistakes do not dictate our future. The moral life, the life of following God in this world is not like applying to med school and if you miss the prereqs, you're done forever and you can't go back. There's no point. There's, there's zero points of no return in, in the life of faith. There's never a point where you're like, okay, I've crossed the line. I can never turn back to God. Over and over again, we see that. We see that in the scriptures. We see people who think they've crossed that line. People who think they can never go back. People who think they can never go back to being a part of a family, part of a community. People who've been ostracized or kicked out for all sorts of reasons, who assume that their life is over. And they must just eat from the dregs 
But Jesus says no to that. Jesus says no to that. The life with God is radically different. The past does not define us. And we can see that with the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a story that begins at a familiar place. Jesus is in Jericho. Jericho is on the way to Jerusalem. In, in the book of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, there's this very powerful line in Luke chapter 9 where it says, And Jesus turned his face to Jerusalem. And so that's when he begins to his slow walk back, knowing what's going to happen, knowing that he's going to, be, he's going to try, he's going to be tortured and crucified, but he still makes the walk back to Jerusalem. And in order to get there, he has to walk through Jericho. Jericho, it, for, um, for the Jews, was a very famous, it was one of the oldest towns, one of the oldest cities. It predated the Hebrew people being in the Promised Land. It's where when Joshua came in, they had to march around seven times with the trumpets to make the, and the walls came a-tumbling down. It's a very powerful place to be. And so Jesus is in Jericho. And in Jericho, there is this man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and very wealthy. And the only way you become wealthy as a tax collector is you're collecting a little more than taxes. You have a little bit extra on the side that you're getting from people. He was dishonest. He collaborated with the Roman occupiers. And for those of you growing up in the church, you may think when you hear the word Zacchaeus, it's not a common name. You don't have a lot of kids, grandkids named Zacchaeus. But you think of the song, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man. See? Okay, that's good. That's enough. But what's interesting about this song is it's mostly about his height, right? But Zacchaeus' height is like the least important thing about him. It's not, it has nothing to do with what is going on. And yet it's, you know, you kind of like, oh, we'll teach this to kids. It's small. Children are small. They'll relate to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a horrible thief and tax collector. He, he, he betrayed and stole from everybody. We don't want kids to relate to him in that way. Um, that's not. But it's important that to, to look at him again. That this is a guy who's a not good guy. And the people, the crowd of people who are like, oh, my gosh, Jesus, why are you going to stay with that, that guy? They have a really good point. This is someone who has stolen from all of them. And if there was someone who had stolen from each of us in this room who came in here, I don't think we would want Jesus to go back with them, right? We would be like, no, we want our money back. Give it, you know, it's like you stole from us. We don't, even, I know you're short. It's okay. We have no problem with short people. We have a problem with thieves. <laughs> Give us our stuff. He was not the kind of person who seemed like he deserved mercy. But for some reason, he wanted to go see Jesus. It doesn't say why. It never says that like he heard about him before, but he says, you know, he knew this Jesus was coming. So he climbed upon a sycamore tree. If you don't know what a sycamore tree it is, it's the one, if you go out our front door, it's the one right on our right. That's a sycamore tree. I grew up with the sycamore trees as a child. And they're awesome as a boy because they're, they're seeds. You can throw them at people really hard. <laughs> but, but that's a sycamore tree. He had heard rumors about this Jesus. And he, had, he wanted to see. So Jesus surprisingly says, so all Zacchaeus does is he climbs this tree. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down from there, for I'm staying at your house today. And this is God acting in his life before Zacchaeus has said anything. He hasn't said anything. All he did was just climb a little tree. Show a little interest. 
and Jesus offers to be with him. So this morning, we had a very interesting 8 o'clock service. It will never be repeated again, I'm sure. It was very unique. It was me and Vicky and Dominic and Ephraim and Logan. And that was it. <laughs> and so it was really, it was like, okay, we're going we're gonna to cone this down to the colonel. But one of the kids said when I was telling the story, and I was like, and they invite, and then Jesus said he was going to his house. I don't know who it was who said, is that like Jesus saying he's going into his heart? It's like, yes. <laughs> wow, that's good. That was the deepest thing that happened. Um, but it was really good. <laughs> and I think we shouldn't be afraid to, to read that into it, that when Jesus is saying, I'm going to stay at your house tonight, he's also saying, I'm going to stay in your heart now because you have sought after me. And the people didn't like it. Remember, the people saw Zacchaeus, and he was the thief who stole from all of them, who stole from all of you, who was here. And they didn't like that this Jesus who they wanted to see was being nice to the guy who had betrayed all of them. It's one of those people. But then, and this is the most important thing about the Zacchaeus story, it's not the tree, it's not his height. It's what he does next. And so the people say, like, Jesus, what are you doing? And Zacchaeus stops. He stops and he says, look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I cheated any of you, I will pay you back four times as much. He strips himself. He strips himself of what he has cheated from the people in this place. Zacchaeus' sins did not erase him from being a child of God. As well, Zacchaeus did not just say that he was sorry and then move on with his life. And that's where the Sunday school rhyme falls short. Zacchaeus chose repentance, a full repentance, a repentance that would be hard for any of us in this room. Through his words, and deeds, and we can see in Zacchaeus a distinction between attrition and contrition. Attrition is like the celebrity who cheats on his wife and says, mistakes were made, or does something like that. Or is like, oh, I'm sorry, mistakes were made. I'm sorry, I'm so amazing, but it's your fault, really. You know, and just moves on <laughs> and doesn't do that. Or like, you know, the, the banker who like defrauded people of millions of dollars, and it's like, you know, mistakes were made in that kind of way. There's no accountability. There's nothing that goes beyond that. Attrition happens when you harm another person, but you don't want to show any weakness or admit to yourself. It is a performance. It is like, okay, I guess I have to apologize, so I'm just going to say these words, but not mean them at all. Contrition is different, and Zacchaeus shows us what contrition looks like. Contrition shows that he seeks forgiveness and that he doesn't hold on to what he has taken. He lets go of what he has taken which is a pretty stark thing for someone to do. And this is the model of what forgiveness can be and what it can mean in our lives. It is to not see the gains that we make illicitly as the most important thing. Jesus forgives. Our mistakes do not define us. We are not our sins, but if we hold on to our sins, they continue to distort us. If we were Zacchaeus and we would say, gosh, you know, I'm sorry for stealing all that money from you, but I really like all this money I have now. I'm going to keep it. Um, That's not repentance, right? That's not repentance. He doesn't really, he may go through the motions, he may mouth the words, but he doesn't really mean it. And yet new life is possible even for the cheaters, even for the people who have betrayed us. New life is possible, not in the soft way of mistakes were made, but being stripped bare. 
Anyone can be stripped bare by the power of God. And anyone can be sanded down to the good wood underneath. And in the James passage for today, we see and remember that God does not show favoritism to us as we do. God does not resent you for what you have done. Sometimes it may feel like that. Sometimes you may seem that God resents you or other people resent you. We need to remember when we look at other people, when we look at ourselves, who do we honor in our life? Who are the people we, we relate to? Do we relate to people in fine clothes and good habits? Do we relate to people with good hygiene? Who are the people we see God in? God does not show favoritism towards us as the world does. We are hypocrites when we receive forgiveness from God and yet with the same breath turn around and judge others. We need to be stripped to the core in order to live again, stripped of all the things that keep us from love. And those things that keep us from love we call sin. Zacchaeus has stripped, has been stripped to his core. He stripped away his pride and his deceit by offering it up to the community and saying, I have done this and it is wrong and I am sorry. And here is restitution for my actions. How can we be spiritually stripped? One thing we must remember is that when you strip a piece of furniture like this, it becomes really vulnerable. If we took a glass of grape juice poured it on it, the wood would soak it right up and it would never get out. It would never get out. This is, like I said before, it is very vulnerable and open. If we put it out in the rain, it would probably rot really quickly. So it is, it is ready. It is ready for either something bad to happen or for something good. It is ready to be destroyed or renewed. That's the thing about vulnerability. You can't be truly vulnerable unless there is a possibility of some sort of abuse. But that doesn't mean we should never be vulnerable. As children of God, we must find the spaces to be vulnerable. Because only then can we be renewed. It may be in a Sunday school class. It may be in an Emmaus group. It may be finding an accountability partner. Finding someone you can be honest and open with whom you trust. Who you know is not going to throw you into the rain. Who's not going to pour the juice all over you. Vulnerability is also found in moments of radical service. Of stepping outside your comfort zones. To be truly vulnerable is to be uncomfortable. It is not a common state. It is not a state we are used to. We build up these walls around ourselves. And usually for good reason. For good reason, we go through life and we build up these walls because we have these experiences of being attacked, these experiences of being exploited. And we don't like that. And we don't want that to happen to us. And we don't want that to happen to our kids and to our friends. And so we build up these walls. But sometimes when we build up these walls, they keep our mistakes inside. They keep our pride inside. And they keep us from loving other people and opening ourselves up. And so we have to tear down those walls. We have to strip down our skin and act with contrition. Act in words and deeds to let go of the distortions of this world. To accept the God-given wonder of grace in our life. The grace to realize that our path does not define us, that our mistakes do not define us. That God sees us. 
And if we seek God, God will show up in our house. All Zacchaeus had to do was climb that tree. And Jesus noticed him. What do you need to do to live again? What do you need to do to strip away a habit that is keeping you from loving your neighbor? What do you need to do to strip away a habit that is keeping you from loving yourself as a child of God? Start this day. Do not start alone. You are not an island. Have a vulnerable conversation today. Pray about it right now. Who is someone you can share with? It may not be a spouse or a parent or a friend. It may be someone different. Who is someone you can share with today? Let us accept the grace to strip ourselves of what keeps us from love. John Wesley summarized it in the following way. Do no harm, do all the good you can, and do the things of God. These are the the Wesley's three general rules. If we are doing these things, we keep stripping sin from us. Each time we do no harm when we otherwise would, sin loses its grip on us. Each time we do good to others when we otherwise would not, sin loses its grip on us. Each time we praise God when we would just think for ourselves, sin loses its grip on us. These general rules are not works we do apart from grace. We can only do them because of grace in our lives. They are the ways for us to continually live into the grace offered to us by God. You are not your sins. God takes them from you. If you let them go, God offers himself to you. Climb that tree. Look for Jesus and get ready when he looks directly at you. How would you welcome Jesus into your home today? What would you change? Would you try to vacuum the floors a second time? Would you make sure you had to go to the store one more time? What would you need to change? Or what would you need to clean up in your soul today if Jesus was coming this afternoon? What would it look like? What needs to be stripped? Let us start with that this day. Clean our hearts, O God. We are ready. Clean our hearts and send us out to show your love. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.